The Fourth State of Matter by Joanne Beard is a very famous essay and required reading in creative nonfiction classes for years since its first publication. It's about a workplace shooting at the University of Iowa. After it was published in The New Yorker, Beard did indeed become an important writer, particularly because this true story is woven like the most fascinating of character studies, the most thrilling page turner. She combines these quicksilver elements of fiction with the more deliberate, carefully woven moments of recollection and memory. Now with her new collection, Festival Days, Beard brings us nine new pieces with these same stunning features that leave us breathless and then haunted by these characters and the things that did and didn't happen to them. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to Joanne Beard about her story collection, Festival Days. As we learn, the new collection includes both fiction and nonfiction. However we categorize them, we want to keep reading. Here's my conversation with Joanne Beard. So I want to talk to you about Festival Days. This is a collection of stories, and I want to emphasize stories. They are all true stories in one way or another. Um, for me, nonfiction means true story, and fiction sometimes means an even truer story. But how do you describe festival days to people when they ask you about this, what's described uh, as a genre-defying uh, collection? Well, first of all, I try to avoid the conversation, if at all possible. <laughs> but um, so far, that hasn't been too possible for me because everybody seems to, well, everybody thinks about this. And I think about it, too, as a, a writer like you, as a writing teacher, um, that, you know, there are certain kinds of work that move back and forth between the genres. So I'd rather say it that way, I think, than to say that it's neither nor. Um, so in each essay, that piece that I'm calling an essay in this book, um, there are moments when you're very aware that the, um, that the author is using her imagination to um, create a scene so that the reader can feel it um, and see it more vividly. And in the same way, I think in the pieces that are called fiction, there are moments when um, the story for me as a fiction writer, as for many fiction writers, is based in the facts of my own life and based in my own experience. But that's not that unusual. I mean, I think any fiction writer you talk to would say that at least some of their work is based on um, what they've what what they've experienced in their lives, or what they've seen, or you know, observed. Well, there's something about creative nonfiction that I find is so much under um, a microscope for those who want to insist on almost a photographic recollection that they might not be able to accept what's a little bit more imagined or speculative aspects of some of the stories in the collection um, and and so you know that's a hang-up some people have um, and they want things to be very defined and and so I like 
what you're saying about um, sort of allowing the author to move through the space. I mean, I'm thinking about um, a work like Werner. This is a story that's based on a real person, a real life, and all too real events. Can you very briefly tell us about this story? And I want to ask you a couple of things about it. Yeah, Werner is a painter. Um, and I met him at an art colony where he had occasion um, when somebody asked a specific question at the dinner table to recount a story about something that had happened to him years ago, which is um, an experience he had when his um, apartment building caught fire and he had to make his way out of the building. And I asked Warner if I could, uh, somewhat like a journalist, write that story and he gave me permission to do so. So the essay of Werner is about Werner's experience, but with um, but infused with another person's imaginings of what happened. That's the easiest way I know how to say it. Well that and that says it. How did you how much access did you have to him? I mean was it really you you met him there you knew him from this particular context and did you talk to him over many meetings over time because this really goes into some detail about uh oh his his childhood i mean things that were um that happened well before the fire in in his apartment right well werner be, being a painter being a visual artist had a really fine visual memory of what had happened to him. And I did sit with him like a journalist for a number of days running. And I asked him almost a second by second accounting of what had happened to him. And Werner had a great memory. It was a pivotal event in his life. Um, he was you know, laid up for quite a long time afterwards, which I think gives you the opportunity to cement the memories. Like if you're just trapped in a bed, thinking and thinking and thinking about what happened to you, he really could tell me every single thing that I asked him. And so we spent days going over the events of, of that, um, that fire and um, and then we spent more time going over um, separate events from his earlier life, just so that I had a more three-dimensional picture of who Werner was before the fire happened. And those details come through so vividly. The I think it was in Oregon, right, where he had spent some time too. Right. Everything about the... Um, the fall, the the cat, the doctors, the ambulance ride. I mean, just the the most granular details and so vivid. Um, I mean, it was such a harrowing experience for him, obviously. Um, but the details are just remarkable. I, I mean, I, I just feel like how could how could Joanne Beard not have been standing right there? It, it's really a, just such a remarkable story. Um, and just well, I just want to say that I found the story remarkable too when Werner was telling it at the dinner table. I felt 
the air in the room change and everyone became just completely riveted. Every conversation stopped, every face turned toward him. And we all wanted to know, and it was partly what had happened, mm -hmm. but it was also partly the way Werner had command of this event all these years later and sort of knew how to describe what happened in a way that we actually could we could feel it. But then you juxtapose this against a story like Sherry, who is somebody you did not actually know. Um, and that same granularity, that same vividness exists in this story too. Can you talk a little bit about Sherry? Well, that piece came before the Warner piece, and um, and I didn't have the opportunity to meet Sherry in person. She had died by the time I actually got to know her. Um, but I felt like I truly did get to know her in a way because I knew, you know, got to know these people who were super close with her and who had loved her. And whenever you're Whenever you're in the company of people who truly have loved somebody, you start to get a sense of who they are. So it was different than the Werner story because I couldn't ask her about that layer of details that would have helped create her as a three-dimensional human being. So I had to make those details up or rather better way to say it, I had to find those details in other memories of mine or in things that I extrapolated from what her family told me. Um, but it seemed like it was important to create that layer of meaning and of character in the piece, important enough that I was willing to have it move away from straight journalism and go into the realm of some other kind of, um, some other genre that I can't really define. Well, you have written fiction, of course, the novel in Zanesville from 2011. It's a work of fiction, which, as I said, I, I find to be still a very, uh, sorry, the genre where we really are able to tell the truth without fear uh, of censorship or the things that hamstring a faulty memory or not having access to a subject. But I imagine that your writing process could be, and this is a big assumption, the very same Thing for your fiction as for your nonfiction in that it just seems like you're you're just able to tell a great story you know you, you can read your your essays and be completely immersed in them in the same way that we're immersed in a in a short story and I, I imagine that you're a, a great reader of short stories they're my absolute favorite thing to read and I think that's why I love your nonfiction so much. And I, I just, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I imagine that you are somebody who admires the short story form. It's my favorite form. So I love reading novels. I truly love the form of the essay, but um, there were many years when all I ever read were short stories. I consumed collections of short stories. I was the first in line to get them. So there's something about um, that short form and the intensity of it that I 
that I agree with you is the very best thing to read. I love it. And I never thought of myself as a short story writer. And the, actually the two stories in this collection are, um, you know, they're, they're based in my own uh, memory and experience, even though nobody ever came into my house and attacked me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hit anybody in the head with a shovel. But nevertheless, those stories feel really autobiographical to me. I think I just turn everything into, um, into fiction. And when I'm writing, you know, fiction, I turn everything into nonfiction. So I don't know if that's just perversity on my part <laughs> or what it is. I'm not, I'm trying not to question it at this point. <laughs> it's hard enough to get the work done, you know, without without trying to put those kind of parameters on it for myself. Oh, so you're referring to the story, The Tomb of Wrestling, as the, the other story that... Right. Yeah, the, oh, that, right. another just gripping, gripping story. Sometimes I think that readers, and I don't know, maybe some writers, find nonfiction about animals to be just like so much treacle. It's like so much sentimental stuff that we shouldn't write about. and. I don't know how that happened. I just, I, I brush up against this attitude all the time. Like it's inherently a less important subject for our writing. I don't understand it. Um, there's an awful lot of nonfiction out there uh, lately about birds. I'm reading a new book right now and the subject is birds. There's not a single ounce of treacle <laughs> there. Um, right. Or in your stories, but you, you write about animals and not just dogs. Um, there's, there's a dog story, um, there are dog stories, there are animal stories, there's the duck story. Um, and I'm thinking about the dog story in the fourth state of matter, such an integral part of that story. I can't imagine that essay without it. I mean, the thing would fall apart, it would collapse. So I want all the fans of your writing to know that Festival Days includes essays with animals. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about the fourth state of matter just because I have you on the line. Sure. It remains on the reading lists of teachers of creative nonfiction. But I have to ask you about the idea of teaching, as you do, with festival days. Well, let me ask you this first. What is, what is perhaps the first thing that you really want your students to understand about being a writer of nonfiction? Well, I think the kind of um, classes that I teach are in personal essay. And that, you know, laps over into memoir. So I guess one of the things that I first want them to understand is that it's really difficult to take an experience in your own life and force it to mean something. Because most of the time we just live our lives and what happens happens and you just go, okay, all right, I may be reeling from that, but I'm going to move forward from it. But in writing, taking those pivotal moments and deciding that you're going to use them to illuminate something about the world means that you have to actually push them through image and metaphor, et cetera, to actually mean something, not only to you, but to the person who will read it. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. If you could do anything else besides that, it would be easier, including go to med school, you know, because at least when you graduate, you know some things and you get paid. 
for what you know. Well, in the essay now, you say the following. Every essay, every academic talk, every writing effort can be deepened through observation and detail, can be made evocative, can contain interstellar dust, luminous patches, and areas of darkness. There's transcendence to be found in the connections, in the nebulas and nebulae, ducts and darkness, if we have the patience to wait for them. That's underlined and highlighted and circled <laughs> in my book. Mm. Um, so I, I really appreciate the essay now um, and what it what it imparts to us. I mean, it seems it's, it's very it's very it's a very entertaining story, but it's also very instructive um, about how to write an essay. Right? Yeah. Those are both craft essays, really um, aimed toward students who are trying to do the same work I'm trying to do. So. Um, yeah, every once in a while, I like to just um, think about how an essay is written. And to, um, in the case of both of those pieces, I think I was trying to write an essay that would also explain the process of like form follows content kind of thing. But the one now I feel very attached to because um, because it has my father in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for the period of time that I spent writing it, I got to, in my mind at least, be with him and think about him and, and try to understand who he was in his life a little bit. Those are such lovely moments. And there are those imagined moments too that you then you then tell us the, the parts that you made up. Um, and it's it remains, you know, a, a very beautiful uh, nonfiction piece about um, sort of about your dad as well. Um, I've interviewed a couple of authors a week since the pandemic started, and we've almost always briefly discussed the pandemic and its effects on life, the writing process, the book release, you know, the book tour. I feel like right now, you know, we're all just on the brink of collectively turning this corner, maybe, in terms of the pandemic, even as there are surges in some states. I was just uh, reading about that. And so many people have suffered and have died terrible deaths full of suffering. And it's important to note that, too. But I wonder about how to keep moving through what has been so difficult in so many ways over the last year. Um, what's What has your writing life been like, or and even your teaching life been like over the last year? I haven't taught um, since May because I had a either well-timed or ill-timed sabbatical this year. Mm -hmm. um, but I did teach last spring over Zoom. When I came back from spring break, we all, you know, had to retire to our homes. Um, and, you know, ugh, it's terrible for the students um, because, because you get, like if you're going to graduate school, if you're gonna get your MFA, you get two years out of your life where you're gonna focus on this thing and you're gonna make new friends and you're gonna you know, engage in this community. And then to have one of those years be um, one in which you can't leave your house and you can't commune with people in, you know, in person is really tough. 
So we have to feel really bad for them. But the other thing I was going to say is that um, this year hasn't been, I mean, every single aspect of this year has been intense, not just the pandemic, but all kinds of crazy stuff has gone on this year. All kinds of, you know, life-defining changes have happened. And I just want to say along the way, I've been watching the news constantly, reading the news, being tuned into everything that's going on, hiding in my house like everybody else. But somehow over the course of the last year, I have not managed to write anything, anything. I kind of love that. <laughs> but I It's wonder- a confession. What can I say? Like other people I know are making really prime use of this time, but... I mean, because there are so many things to talk about also, but I just have felt more stillness and I mean, I don't know stillness. I don't know what that means. I'm not still, I'm lazy. I'm like sitting in a chair, like a lump with my laptop, you know, every day doing things that are stupid, like playing solitaire. Okay. So that's the (laughs) truth of it. That's the truth of it. While <laughs> while people are out, you know, marching in the streets and I don't know, destroying the Capitol and oh going to the hospital with, you know, COVID, I'm sitting in a chair somewhere with my laptop on my lap, watching the world unfold in front of me instead of being engaged in it. So I'm trying to get better about that. Now that it's all over, I feel like I have to retrain myself how to engage in real life and not just in screen life. Well, I'm thinking about two things. One is the, the line in the essay that it that says, Pringles are the thing that I usually don't admit to. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have this other wonderful, beautiful confession. This is very refreshing because most writers say, oh, I'm still writing every day or whatever, you know. (laughs) Are you kidding? I'm not even reading every day. It's like, oh my God. I mean, just between us. Yeah, yeah. Well, there has been, you know, the small matter of impeachment number two and the insurrection and whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, I suspect that this is time that we need for things to just... And I have, I, I do know that you have just like this terrific memory. And so I, I think the time sitting, looking out the window is well spent probably. And I suspect that there's going to be like a series of, I don't know, a stories about characters that communicate, you know, through Zoom or something. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Oh, my God. I hope so. That and a story about a bird. There. That would be good. That would be really good. I feel a little, I feel a little charged up from this conversation. To oh, that, tell you the truth. me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of my favorite things uh, over this, you know, and we've had some interesting weather in Texas in February, and all, you know, all kinds of other uh, traumas uh, here closer right. by. But one of my favorite things over these difficult days to be. Uh, an absolute fangirl about it is 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 scrolling through social media and seeing a picture of Joanne Beard and reading about you in the New York Times and the Washington Post and other places. When I try to explain your work to people and m- almost all of my friends and and for sure all of my students 
of course, know your work and study your work. But for for those who don't, I always think of the word energy, and 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 that's the wrong word. But I've I've noticed in lately in reading about you that 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 word crops up. Hmm. So I I spotted it here and there while I was reading over the last week, and uh, so I have found that others use it to describe your work. So I wonder what you think of that word, energy, to describe your stories. Wow. I never think of that word in in relation to me. I don't. I mean, I know what it is in relation to other people's work, but I don't think of it as, I think of my work as being more pensive and introspective and, and perhaps even plodding just because my process is so slow that because I'm always kind of railing against that in the back of my mind, I tend to think of my work as being a little bit uh, stuck in glue. So the idea that energy might apply to what I do is is novel to me, but I like it. I like it. I like it too. I I went back to look at some of the stories, some of the essays and the stories in Festival Days, and I, I saw it. I mean, I could... Hmm. I could discern it. I could see it. But it it is that sort of um, that that page turning um, sense of things like, for example, I mean, with the Tomb of Wrestling and with Warner, I mean, with with all of them, it's it's impossible to put the book down. And you're just so grabbed. I mean, that's a kind of an energy, I suppose. Maybe that's it is it's it's propulsive in terms of plot those stories that really were about other people you know something huge happened and I was writing about what happened it's just that I don't think of that as applying to me um maybe in my life but it's interesting that those are the kind of stories that I feel attracted to to explore and write about well, but I will say this, I can certainly see the idea of introspection. I mean, from the very first story last night, um, the very first essay, um, and Festival Days, and What You Seek is Seeking You. I mean, so I can certainly see that. But it, it was just such an interesting word uh, cropping up. And uh, I kind of like that word for 2021. Oh, what a great thought. Yes. Yes. Joanne Beard, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Joanne Beard is the author of Festival Days. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creeden is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Eva Benavides. <laughs>